are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, welcome to the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm Mark Ballow and I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne. And today we've got special guest Louis St. August from Mass. Uh, great band from, uh, started out in the, I guess, the early 80s, right Tom? Yes. And uh, yeah, kind of, we, we, we broke the myth though. We uh, we found out that they weren't necessarily a, a Christian band, right? Yeah, it's always been um, a big topic of discussion with a lot of these Christian bands. We touched on this uh, on a previous episode, which um, we kind of got into it. And um, yeah, it's it's always been something that's interests me. And uh, yes, Lewis had a different spin on um, than a lot of other artists. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, this was a pretty good interview. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Uh, Lewis St. August from Mass. So uh, hey, Lewis, uh, thanks for joining us here on the Jersey Guys podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I figured before we're going to we're going to kind of get into the whole mass thing, of course. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about this early thing that I was just made aware of not too long ago. But in 1979, uh, you released a single with uh, Gene, the guitar player from Mass, uh, under the name Axes. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, you know, it was one of the first bands that I started, um, you know, it's still in high school and, um, we were actually a three piece. Then we've added a drummer and we released a single, um, called Heart of Stone. And, um, I believe on the other side was called She's a Teaser. And, um, we, I think we did it the uh, studio in Boston, Newberry Studios. It was actually where Aerosmith recorded their first, very first record. And we printed up 1,045s, you know, for our hometown. And of course, you know, they, they were, they went like hotcakes and, and um, it was, uh, it was cool. It was very cool. Was that the, was that like the, the origins of mass or was that just something totally different? That was actually the origins of mass. Yes. That was good. You know, got it started. Um, we did a song called "Can You See It Again," and uh, and that kind of um, kind of lingered with us. It was a very early version of it, but it was one of the first songs that me, myself, and Gene wrote, and um, and that was the beginning. And then we uh, um, we we got a new drummer, and then we uh, went into the '80s, and um, and we still were, you know, kind of figuring out what we should call the band. We wanted to change the name because we knew there was another Axis, a John Butcher Axis in, in town. And um, so we, we um, you know, got our first recording contract. And uh, we actually signed with A&M Records in 1982, a few years later. And um, we didn't even have a band name. We, we didn't know if we should stay with Axis or, or change the name. So, uh, so it was really weird. But uh, that, that was the uh, beginning. Yeah. He, he had a different spelling, though, John Axis, didn't he? It was IX, I believe, right? Yes. Well, we, we were actually AX. 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 Yeah, ES for a while. Right, you guys were, for, yeah. Yeah, and um, 
so that's we thought maybe that would be a little bit different but uh yeah, i don't know and then we just decided to uh change the name altogether yeah well one of the things we like to do on our podcast tom and i we, we like to kind of like go over an artist or a band's kind of whole career you know so we that's kind of why i brought that up because i want to get the origins of mass but let's move on to what you just said a minute ago in 1982 um you guys signed with a and m uh and what all happened there because that album obviously was shelved right for a, a long period yes we went out to a criteria studios and uh recorded a full-length album for a and m and um but the what happened was they just had a falling out with our manager at the time our manager was uh, kind of uh, looking for some sort of kickbacks and there was some uh, turmoil uh with the uh this, he didn't want us to work in that st- uh, that studio that the the recording uh, the record label wanted us to use and then he they brought in a producer and they didn't see eye to eye and uh, so the producer was was um, he left and they just finally said to us finish the album uh, the the record and um, um, go back to Boston and get rid of your manager because we're not going to release this record <laughs> with him was that so, producer that you mentioned was that that Tom Allen uh, of course of Judas Priest no, and no, Sabbath which, which is no which was really funny the first, the first producer that we met with was Tony Platt mm. and um, he didn't uh, get along with that manager and vice versa and um so it was tony platt so uh he was sent he went back to where he was london i think or, and then they brought in tom allen and tom allen was the guy who uh, recorded the first album oh. it's really funny because it kind of kind of came full circle because tony platt came back and did the new birth album for rca <laughs> so it was really uh, strange and um so we had some tough beginnings at the, you know, we were all excited, you know, young guys, four guys, young from Boston, you know, signing our first recording contract and going at the fabulous recording at the fabulous criteria studios in Miami and Florida. And, um, and then, uh, you know, for them to say they were going to put the record on hold because of management, we had to fly back to Boston, get us some legal representation and, and then it took it took a few years uh, to finally get off those contracts, and um, so in the meanwhile, you know, we were kind of sitting there, and the album just just sat there for quite a while, and uh, finally we got off the contracts, and and um, and that was back in I think it was 1984. We decided to go and do an EP, and we went up to the record plant in New York City and recorded a four song EP. And we put that out on our own label called Mass Records, and that opened the doors again to uh, uh, showcasing uh, for different labels once again. And uh, we signed with RCA. And that brings us into New Birth. That's correct, yes. Now, what I wanted to ask you was, did you guys set out to be a Christian band, or did you somehow get uh, lumped into the Christian scene because of your name? What was the workings of that? sure we never thought about being a christian band uh you, you know but we can understand people's with us with the name mass and and uh us eventually working with uh, um uh, stripers michael sweet producing one of our records and us performing with them and i think enigma we'll get into that a little bit later but enigma was kind of us pushing us that in that kind of vein that stream and 
and uh, um, but we never we always considered ourselves just a melodic hard rock band. Um, Interesting. And um, yeah, I, I've always tried to figure that out because I, it was always that you guys were a Christian band. But if you look at the songs, they're not. Pati- I mean, a, a few here and there. You know, Holy One. You know, that, that we could again we'll talk about that record when we get to it. But it was always back in the day, at least when I was buying these records, it was that you guys were a Christian band. But if you looked at the material, it wasn't like overt Christian, like, you know, a, a Petra or a Blood Good or those type of bands. And I was always curious as to whether it was you guys got kind of dragged into that late 80s stripe of boom of the popularity of Christian bands. Was that kind of the machination of the whole thing? Yes, that's exactly how it was. I mean, I mean, I, I believe in God, you know, so some of my lyrics and my melody, you know, right. I do, you know, do, I do talk about God and faith and, and it, but we're always, you know, looking good, you know, watch your walk, you know, very, uh, very, uh, you know, oriented sexual, you know, you know, not your typical Christian lyrics. Right. So. Sure. Because we just had uh, Jamie Kramer on from um, Holy Soldier. Uh, it was actually oh, cool. our, our, our last podcast. And we went down this whole road with them, too, as trying to figure out where all these bands fit in the, you know, you had the praise bands, you had the altar call bands, you had the bands that every song had Jesus, you had the bands that had logos that were that way, but the songs didn't right. sound that. So we were just, we were trying to get through that whole thing. But now, you know, that answers a lot right there. If we could talk a little bit about this record, though, because I personally, I, I loved it when it came out. And, you know, the recording process and the the songs and just go through it, give the listeners a little bit of idea how the whole album came about. Right. Now, which record are we talking about? New Birth? New Birth. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, we recorded that up, up in New York uh, in the Bearsville studio. Um, we got to rehearse it at Todd Rudgren's uh, uh, home or basement and did some pre-production there. Uh, Tony Platt was the producer for that. And love to, I, you know, we've been very lucky to work with some great producers. Tom Allen was fabulous. Um, but Tony Platt, uh, he was more of a perfectionist where Tom was just kind of like, you know, hit the play button and, and let us go. But um, it was a lot of fun. We were, uh, I think it took us about uh, three or four weeks to do the basic tracks. And I think the album well, was probably about five or six weeks we were done with everything. And um, all the songs pretty much were, you know, are very, beginning song, songs that we've written, you know, and, and um, in our early days, and we just couldn't wait to record some of these songs. And, and some of the songs actually uh, were recorded on the Fighter album, but you can hear the difference, like Do You Love Me and uh, a few other ones, three songs off the Fighter album were actually put on the uh, New Breath record, but Tom just did a fabulous job just changing them, uh, uh, recording them, and um, you know, changing the tempos, and and he had some great ideas that that I think really um, worked well in the new birth record. Hmm. So those were total re-records of those songs. Yes, yes. Different, some different lyrics, different, you know, different structures. Maybe uh, you know, a verse cut out here. Maybe a different intro. Um, uh, did you know? Like I said, different time, uh, different uh, timings. Uh, 
uh, you know, I think the Do You Love Me on the first fighter record is a lot slower. It's kind of like how we actually wrote it. But then um, Tony Platt felt that it needed to be sped, you know, kicked up a little bit and made it a little bit more poppy, and which uh, worked worked out well because it was like you know this hit single off that record. And how did the album do? Was were you guys uh, happy with how the it sold? Um, the album did great. I mean, it sold over a quarter of a million albums. Um, the single, the forty-five, did like around forty fifty thousand units of just, just the forty-five, and the album was doing really really well. And we started doing um, some promotional shows. We were going up the East Coast, playing um, in your town, New Jersey, Philadelphia, uh, you know, Boston, and um, and then everything kind of came to a halt because the manager that we uh, got rid of came back and um, had a lawsuit against us. Ah. So because of the, some of those songs that we had recorded on the A&M record. Mm. So that kind of put a little halt in us in um, uh, on that, that tour. And um, we had to stop wow. and we had to decide what to do. So we've had a lot of, yeah, we've had a lot of, Ups and downs. Yeah, I was going to say, at this point, it's still still relatively early in your career, and you already had two major roadblocks. Yes. Oh, we had to go through litigation, arbitration. Uh, we had uh, TROs. I mean, I, I became a lawyer. And it was like, what's, you know, temporary, we had temporary restraining orders. We couldn't perform. Uh, he, he'd put us up. He'd come to our shows, and, and we'd have to, wouldn't be able to play live. And we had to go back into court and say he was stopping us from earning a living. So it was really crazy for a bunch of, you know, 19, 18, 20-year-old guys to, to do all this. And we had to file Chapter 11. We actually had to file bankruptcy to get rid of, to dissolve all these final, these contracts that we signed. So how did you end up with uh, Medusa? How did that all come about? Um, let me see. After, after New Birth, um, we, um, RCA office, office, offered us another deal, another record. And um, our management at the time, our new management, and in the court right, Stu Weintraub, um, decided that they felt that um, RCA was making a change. They were now being bought up by GE. So a lot of the people that were behind us and um, involved in the new birth record and promoting the band uh, were, were gone, were let go. So it was kind of a new staff. So they felt that we should look for a, a new deal. So we kind of took their opinion and we took a bio. They gave us money and we left RCA. And um, uh, what happened? So then we were doing some shows. We were doing some shows in Boston and we ended up doing a show with uh, Striper and uh, Timmy Gaines. And, and um, I guess Michael knew of the band. I guess they had New Birth or they were fans. And um, they told us about uh, this, the label that they were on. And so we just happened to have a demo tape that we had. And so Gene, I guess, approached Michael and was talking to him and, and gave him the copy. Um, the next thing you know, um, Enigma Records was interested. And uh, they flew out, West Hind flew out to see one of our shows in Boston. And um, about a week later, we signed with Enigma. And the first thing we put out was that demo tape that we handed Michael. It was and that that eventually became uh, the album called Take You Home. And that's another thing, you know, right away. Like, we never even seen that album cover until it was in the stores. So 
you know, to our surprise, to our surprise, we see a big cross on there. Oh, so, oh, wow. So this, this is where they're going with it. Yeah. Now you're being pigeonholed. So, yeah. So, um, so we did that for the Medusa, the subsidiary of, of the Enigma label. And, uh, that's did well. And that was actually our first record that kind of went overseas and hit London and Italy and stuff like that. And that did sold pretty well. And then, um, about a year later, we did the Voices in the Night record with uh, Michael Sweet producing in California. Okay, staying with uh, Take Your Home, which to, to me is such a tremendous collection of songs, but it was only an EP. Was that a decision um, to keep it an EP, or did it just turn out that's what you guys had and they wanted to get out product? Yes, that's exactly right. That's what, all, that's what we had at the time. And um, and he wanted to get that out to keep us kind of fresh after the new birth, even though it was two years uh, prior, you know, to the uh, new birth release. So they wanted to get that out right away. So we actually went to New Jersey and worked with John Rollo and um, just I did some old guitar overdubs. I did some backup harmonies, uh, like a you know four or five days of recording, and to spruce it up a little bit. And um, the next thing I know, it it was released. It's one and I've all the whole back catalog of the band. It's some of the, my f- most favorite songs are on this. Can't get enough, a holy one. But the song I wanted to ask you about is when it was reissued, "Under the Gun," which is another great song, which originally was not on it. Where did that song emanate from? Oh wow, <laughs> that's an oldie. Um, <clears throat> it, it's just one of the songs that we had on a demo tape. Maybe we did like a five-song demo tape, and that was just one of the songs that we had. And I think, um, so how did you hear that song? What, 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 that's, uh, that came on, was that a bonus track or something? Yeah, it was, you know, it was reissued by Retroactive Records. Okay, so we had that. I was such a huge fan of this EP that when I saw it was reissued with an extra song, I was like, oh, I got to get it because it's probably really good. And it is a terrific track. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we... Um, I'll, we always loved that song, you know, it just um, kind of got lost in the, you know, like we'll write songs and, and, and then three, you know, we'll, we'll dig it for a while and then we'll write something else and so that's better. And then it gets kind of put to the, you know, by the wayside, uh, the song. So that's one that eventually we had on, on a, a demo. And I think I added some keyboards to it. Um, had Jeremy come in and do some keyboards because they were looking for some bonus tracks uh, for for the release of that record, and um, so we gave them that one. So, but, yet they um, didn't put it on the original press, though they they left right, it off. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I liked about it too. It had some really nice keys on it. Yeah. So now we move to your your opus, which was uh, Voices in the Night, the kind of the album that put you guys on the map uh, big time. Maybe even more so. You mentioned the earlier album had a quarter of a million sales, right? Um, but this right, one, yeah. I mean, I love this well, album myself, Voices in the Night. Yeah, that that seems to be a fan favorite, along with this New Breath. I mean, the New Breath, you know, we did. Um, we had that kind of opened some doors for us because of the single deal love me and because of the MTV video, that was the only video that we did for MTV. And that was the one that, you know, kind of, I think opened a lot of doors for us. Um, but voices in the night is, 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 um, another stepping stone for sure. 
um, Michael approached us and he said he'd love to produce us. And we said, yeah. So he, you know, went to Enigma, West Hind, the president there, and, and they all agreed. Um, we didn't, we didn't have a big budget. We had a kind of a small budget. So, uh, Michael invited us to, to uh, fly out and, and live with him. So we, we stayed at his house for like two months and um, did the pre-production. All the songs were all written for this record, Voices in the Night. And uh, we just went out and just rehearsed. And uh, we'd even bring our equipment. We used Michael's amps. Uh, you know, Joey used um, uh, uh, the Robert's drum set. And, um, so, and just for, in order for us to save money and, you know, we we lived with Mike and and uh, um, and this Voices of Night record was something different for us because the past three or four records that we did uh, or demos we'd always just go to one studio and record everything. This Voices of the Night we did the drums in one studio, we did the guitars in another studio, we did the vocals in another studio, and I was like, how is this going to work? But it, it did. So it was a you know really good idea and and it was fresh and and. Um, we had a lot of fun doing it, making it. So where were you guys now as a band? You have the Take Your Home EP comes out that the cover of it screams Christian rock. And yep. now on your follow-up release, you have Michael's Sweet all intertwined in this. Were you guys getting pulled down the rabbit hole of Christian rock? Or were you trying to walk a fine tightrope? Uh, we were trying to, if you said, we were trying to walk a fine tightrope, rope, but it was... We didn't kind of matter because we knew we, the band was getting bigger and our name was getting out there. And um, so to us, we, we figured, okay, we're going to get have Christian fans and we're going to have our regular rock fans. So we thought it was, you know, the best of, best bo- of both worlds. Yeah, two fans. Exactly. Bases. So that's so we just went with it. And then but then it started getting a little bit more and more and people then doing interviews and, and they would ask, "Are you a Christian band?" And I'd have to say, "No, you know, we believe in God. You know, I believe in Jesus, and, and but we don't, you know, portray ourselves as a, as a Christian band." Um, how, how was Michael in that like in that whole thing? Was he kind of steering you towards that, or was that something he ever even brought up at all? Or no, he never even brought that up at all. He just, you know, he just knew that we were writing positive, uh, positive, uplifting tunes, and he dug it, and he he, he loved it. I just wanted to ask you about my favorite song on this album, uh, Chance to Love. How did that come about? Uh, uh, a lot of the songs that lyrically are, are about myself or about the band, you know, autobiographical. I was going through a divorce, um, um, new birth. It actually was my first marriage, my first baby in 1985. I had my first child. Um, so that's where the title for that. But Chance to Love was... Um, was going through um, a divorce and um, when I was out in California and um, those lyrics came from about, you know, relationship and, and uh, um, just some sad times. And um, so that's, you know, sometimes you're, when you're down, those are the best lyrics, you know, you had felt those heartfelt lyrics. Sure. So um, that's where that uh, arrived from. Well, ironically, I got divorced the same year too, so. <laughs> so you could use that song. Right. There you go. That's why Maybe you that's like why it I so liked much. it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so where were you guys at this point in terms of uh, touring? Because uh, th- this album, I remember when it came out, bought it pretty much the week it came out in, in, all, in one of those old CD long boxes, I remember. Oh, yeah. And um, 
where was the band in terms of uh, touring support with the uh, the label? We just, you know, it just came out. It was doing well. We started doing some shows with Striper out in California. We did the amphitheater, the uh, Orange County, whatever uh, club or venue, whatever. They were all like 15,000 seaters, 10,000 seaters opening for Striper and Hurricane. And um, we were going to do uh, our fir- very first video for for uh, um, Enigma. I think I believe it was going to be Reach for the Sky. And there was talk about us joining Striper um, in Japan. They were going to go out to Japan. So I don't know. After the album, I don't know if we're, we're, we're bad luck, but Enigma folded. <laughs> Enigma folded, so we lost that. It, it was came out. The album came out in '89, and I think the Enigma was gone in 1990. <laughs> the mass streak continues, right? <laughs> yes. So we were like, oh. So now, now we were back in Boston. You know, they would fly us out to California to do radio interviews and you know promo things, and then we'd do some shows with, like I said, with with Mike and the guys, and um, and when we were back in Boston without a label and. We we just and the grunge scene came in, and we didn't know what we should do. If should we should we give it up, give it up, or but we didn't. We just kept doing some local shows in town around Boston area and uh, working on some new material. We, we thought about changing the name for a little bit. Well, I think we um, did. yeah, I was going to ask you. I wanted to mm-hmm. touch on that. Um, Mother Train, right? Was that the band? Yes. That was the name that yeah. you guys changed to. What what led to that? That was just because of the scene change, the music scene just, change. Exactly, because of the scene change and the grunge came in, and we thought maybe we'd write a little bit more bluesier. And I, actually, I was listening to a demo the other day of, of like maybe six or seven songs that we did, and I was like, "Wow, oh, it's got very it's like very Aerosmithish," and I was like, "It's pretty cool." <laughs> and um, so, um, but we figured we just, you know, maybe we needed a fresh start, a new name, and, and with the change. Um, but we weren't doing grunge at all. It was just a, a little bit of a change from us from being straight ahead of rock and roll, just a little bit, a little bit more bluesy type of uh, rock. And after, I think, um, after a few months of that, I think it was who was it? We went out to New, back to New Jersey, and we did a, a demo. And John Rollo says, why, why are you changing the name? You guys are known as Mass. It's a great name. And he just convinced us. And we said, yeah, we're going to go back go back to Mass. And we did that uh, demo tapes with him. Um, and that eventually led to the deal. That demo uh, led to the deal with Escape Music. That was the uh, Crack of Dawn album. So now the, the, the songs that you talked about that, you kind of recorded as when the mother train thing was kind of happening or changing that those songs are what came on that album. Yes. Okay. So how did you get hooked up with uh, Khalil Turk? Who's a very old friend of mine. Oh, um, Khalil. Well, I just, um, we shot, I shot the tape out to a few labels. I think it was three or four labels. And he, um, one day I was, uh, at home sitting out back my wife says it's a telephone call and it was him he gave me um gave me a call and he told me he loved the demo and asked if we would be interested in working with his his label and we were like yeah and so i said let me talk to the guys and and see what we can you know let's uh let's do something so that ended up being our first record we ended up signing a, a three album deal with with uh, escape and um 
that was the first uh, first album we did with them was the like I said the, was those 2005 2006 demo tapes that we did with John Rollo. Um, we added a couple of more tunes I think to that record um, here in Boston, and I think um, I think uh, Michael Sweet actually came in for a day or two just to listen to some of the tunes and help us work on. Uh, uh, a song called "It's You" and a song called "Empty Soul," and um, so those are the two songs, the old, uh, newer songs that we added to the, that demo, and that came out uh, on uh, in 2007 on the Escape label. It's cracking on. It was a very strong album. I thought it was um, return to form of the, the prior greatness, and I was very happy when it when it came out. Did it? Did it? get the same type of reception that you guys expected? How did it do with Europe? I think it was a good album. I don't think it was our best album. I think there was some good... I mean, I've got fans that write me, you know, that, that this is my favorite record. No matter, you know, crank it on, crank it on. I was like, really? I was like, you know, I'm very surprised with that. I just think that it was kind of a, um, a, a mixed, um, you know, where we recorded some songs in New Jersey and then we recorded some songs here in Boston. It just didn't... It flowed, but it didn't flow for me too too much. Like it didn't have that overall, yeah. Like you know, from one to ten, you know, that that sounds great. But um, I think it did good. I think it kind of brought our, us back into the limelight a little bit. You know, I brought our name up. It's like people surprised. Oh, Mass has got a new record out, so a lot of people checked it out. Um, I think some people loved it, and I think some people maybe didn't really, you know, think think it was our best record. So. But it was the start of us again, and um, which was which was cool. And then that moved into Sea of Black, which was the second in the the trilogy of uh, Escape. Right, and then in 2010 we um, released uh, that one, and we started working on new songs right after the Crack of Dawn, and then we put together ten, and that seemed to be a little bit more flowing because we did it all in one studio. I think it was ten or eleven tracks on that record and we did it all at mixed emotion studios here in, in Massachusetts. So that was kind of, that felt a little bit more, you know, flowing to me, you know, the songs were all written around the same time and, and, and it was recording at the same studio and we used the same, you know, en engineer and, and, um, um, and we used, uh, I think Martin, yeah, Martin Cronin mixed that one as well. Had some terrific songs on it, Through the Rain, All the Years Gone. Yeah, I, I really like this one a lot. Probably even a, a step up from, like you said, the the predecessor. Yeah, yeah, the Till We Meet Again, uh, um, another cool song that I liked. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, I just think I had some good feeling of The Right Side, uh, Falling From Grace. Um, it just seemed like it was a, it was a, a good rocking rock and record. But now we move to the third album. Now, this one, for me, is a particular huge favorite. Uh, the songs on here, I thought, were some of the best songs that you guys have ever written. And this would, of course, be When Two Worlds Collide. Uh, what led to this, in, in my opinion, as a fan, maybe I'm off base, but like a, a metamorphosis of just great ideas and great songs on this album? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's right up there. I mean, New Birth, Voices at Night, When Two Worlds Collide. Those are like my three. You know, I, I mean, I love take you. Know, I love them all. You know, like they're all like my children. They're all your babies, but you, that's right. right. You know, but um, I just think that um, we were just you know a little bit mature, a little bit better writing. I think my lyrics, I, 
concentrated a little bit more on my lyrics and melodies. Um, I just think that it, it just, it all just came together really well. I just, uh, all the songs, um, two of this, actually a couple of songs are older songs that I kind of convinced the guys to put on there. Uh, one was a uh, standalone and the other one was, um, secondhand rose. Secondhand Rose is tremendous. The first time I heard that song, I was like, what a friggin' song this is. Thank you. It just, uh, it was an old demo that we had, and I, I played it for the guys here. I said, guys, come on, you know, let's put this, let's put this, let's redo it, you know, let's, let's put it on. What so, year was, what year were those songs from? Oh, gosh, I would say in 96, 97. Yeah, back there. And then, um, and I just felt that those, two songs needed to see the light of day because i just felt that they were had some good good uh, a good feel and and um, um and they needed to be on the record what about so, only a dream that's my favorite song on the album what could you tell oh, me wow. about that oh only a dream um just the uh it's got such a say, great just, hook it really has got such a great hook and a great vibe thanks uh i don't know i mean it's just you know just you know, like some of my melodies and the lyrics, this one was kind of like a, a of a story of, a, you know, a made up story that I, I envisioned. Um, and then Michael come up with a great bass riff and um, it just had a, a nice little feel, uh, you know, um, and it just recorded it, when we recorded, it just came out really well. You know, it was, I was surprised. You know, it's, it's really funny when we write the songs. They sound good, you know, in the basement, you know, and us in the room recording them. But you really don't hear it until it's in the studio, and then you sit back and you say, "Ah, you know, that's that sounds good," you know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it's just uh, funny how you, you know. Well, I'm glad you mentioned his, his bass riff on this because I the other day I listened to this album in preparation for the the podcast. I haven't listened to it in a couple of years. And I had it on the headphones when I was running, and the bass sound that on this, he's got an unbelievable sound, and some of the riffs that he plays throughout the whole album are just absolutely killer. Yes, Michael's a great bass player, and he really stands out in this record, and uh, yeah, I love it too like and, re um, revenge for the for the maiden um, yeah yeah his yeah. bass sound is just massive on this and it it, it really kind of like pushes the i thought pushes the band the overall sound almost into like another level that you that you previously hadn't been right right yeah 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 he definitely did i mean he did a great job on that and it you know it also helped that the uh the engineer the, well not the engineer the uh, the guy who mixed and mastered it uh anthony yeah he, he grasped a, it he got it he yeah, nailed it he's yeah. he's a bass player okay so, there you go you know, yeah so. <laughs> yeah no he nailed it because this the sound is just really really distinctive and um i i hadn't heard that before you know, like it was really, you know, it had that sound when you're listening to it. The bass is just really cool riffs and parts, and the sound is just tremendous on it. It's, it's really, you know, like to some, I, I hate to say it's your your best record, only because like the the vintage stuff I love so much. But I I find myself I go back to the, if I'm going to listen to anything in your catalog, I find for some reason I go back to this more than anything else. Oh, there's some great, 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 great songs on that album. I was just listening to it earlier too on the way I drive down here to do the podcast, and I was like, "What great songs!" Mm -hmm. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I really feel it's one of our best, too. I mean, it, it's just like it, like you said, the vintage stuff that was us, you know, 19, 20, 22, 23 years old, you know, we were very raw and, and, and just, you know, excited. Uh, this one was a little bit more mature. You know, uh, we're older now. We're, I think we're better writers, better musicians, um, and just uh, and kind of figured it out a little bit. I, I think Khalil loves really likes it. he felt that this was our best record too and and um so i was impressed with you know, his opinion and so it's just uh trying to bring it you know try to bring it to the next level so that's what we try to do do each record well let's let's kind of kind of back up a little bit because we talked about the sea of black album which came out in 2010 and then uh when two worlds collide was 2018 but in between that closer to the the sea of black release uh the the actual 1982 album saw the light of day, right? Came out as as fighter. How did that all come about? Um, it was a, I was approached by uh, what's it, retro, retroactive, retroactive, Matt, Matt Hunt, yeah. yeah, Matt Matt Hunt, and um, there was uh, we we talked about it, and and um, I said, why not? You know, let's let's who owns the record? I said, well, we do pretty much. I mean, uh, A&M abandoned it, so. If you want to release it, we're all for it. So we put it together, and and um, and uh, he decided to release it. I mean, I I feel like you know it's very very, you know, very very raw um, the record, and like I said, it was a very real 19, 18, 19 years old recording that record, and you can tell. Um, but uh, it, people love Fighter. They love, you know, Can You See It Again and some of those songs on there. And, and they liked hearing the different version of Do You Love Me. So I thought it was um, something that uh, we should, you know, get out there and kind of show people, you know, the very beginning. That was actually before New Birth and before the EP and when we just our very first recording, uh, uh, our very first time in a professional studio. And that's, you know, and it was very raw. Like I said, Tom Allen, who was, he was doing a Judas Priest at the time. And he was actually mixing um, some of this stuff on the side while he oh, was wow. doing our album. It was, I, I remember hearing another thing coming. I said, that's a great song. You know, he was doing Screaming for Vengeance, um, you know, the same time that he was doing our record. But it was very, like I said, very raw. Not, you know, just a few overdubs, some backup vocals, and just the band was just, performed live in the studio in a big, you know, room. And, um, and that's how that, how we recorded that whole record. So, whereas, you know, some of the re- other records, you know, we record one song, you know, stop to the bass, to the drums, then add the guitars and do the rhythm and lead, you know, building the cake. And with the, the fighter record was kind of just, just, you know, like a live show, like a live show. Right. Right. I didn't want to skip uh, the Best Ones uh, CD that had come out because that had some non-LP songs that hadn't been released before. Um, Who Am I, Seven Days, if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, that was during the, um, the night after the 90s, we left, the, you know, Enigma was gone and we were kind of searching for ourselves again. And, and, you know, we were getting, people were getting remarried and having children. And um, Hernando, uh, uh, our manager at the time, felt that why don't we put a uh, put something out on uh, on uh, For Real Records, which was something he came up with, and do like a best one. So we took a few songs from some of the records, and we had a couple of demos 
tapes. One was, like you said, you mentioned it was uh, seven days and, and um, who am I? And uh, we, we put those on there to add a couple of new songs. And I think we only sold, like, I think we only printed up like a few thousand copies and, uh, and that's how that came about. So from what period were those two non LP songs? Um, seven days, I would say like around the same time, like, uh, maybe 98, 99 or something like that. Those, those were older, older tunes, uh, yeah, around, yeah, around 98, 99, maybe some time around like the under the gun stuff. Okay. Gotcha. So, so Tom brings up the, the best of album, but I'm going to ask you about the, the Christmas, uh, EP, uh, 2016, you guys do, uh, holding on to Christmas with, uh, four Christmas songs. Uh, is that something you guys kind of always wanted to do or it was a spur to moment thing? And could you possibly do, do that again with, with more songs? Um, you know, people ask you know, the retroactive or, or Scott, somebody was asking if we had more Christmas tunes. They wanted to do a Christmas album, but, um, we, I did a single, I did like a, um, yeah, something myself with the keyboard player. It was called, um, I forget the name of the song, the Christmas stuff. Uh, uh, I did one so Christmas song. We did Jingle Bell Rock and then um, Where Are You? Not Where Are You Christmas, but um, do you know the name of the songs? Uh, Ooh, uh, well, Holding On to Christmas uh, is on there, right? That's one of them. Uh, yeah. So anyways, I did a, a song with just me and the keyboards and, and that can, the guys kind of liked it. And so I said, well, let's, let's, why don't we, um, do a little Christmas EP and put it out and, and, um, and, you know, do uh, our share and, and give back whatever profits we make, you know, give it back, give it to the toys for tots. So that's what we did. So I had the song, we had the song, um, hold on to Christmas, but it was, um, it was, um, just called Holden. And it was just a rock song. So I said, let me change the lyrics. And I go, well, how would you guys feel if I change the lyrics and we, and we make it more of a Christmas tune and, and add it with these uh, other three songs, these Christmas tunes that we have? And they all agreed. And they all agreed. And we did a little, uh, little four-song EP. And we just, um, you know, and, and just released it through our website and, and sold it at our shows and ah, stuff like that. Okay. So, and it was a lot of fun, you know, doing that. I'd like to do more, you know, uh, but it's just, um, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, has, has mass ever considered, uh, you know, you guys obviously still play shows right from time to time up in yeah. the Massachusetts area. Have, have you guys ever considered doing any type of either a live album or DVD type release? We have, um, I, a lot of people have asked that do a live record and, um, We've I've got so much tapes of you know fans and, and some professional recordings of us doing uh, you know showcase at the for the Sea of Black and we did a filming of that and and I started working with um, a couple of people putting that together years ago and it just never developed it just every time I get back go into the studio and work on it it just didn't seem to work. And um, it just didn't seem maybe it was just because it was not with the right people to, to handle something like that. So we've never done a live DVD or a live record, and uh, I've always wanted to. So, um, but now who knows? Yeah. Oh, well, something to look forward to possibly. Um, yeah. I mean, I have all these tapes and and you know CDs and you know live things that just sitting there and just waiting for somebody you know to come along with. 
a boatload of money, a boatload of money and say, let's do this. You know, right, there you go. So, <laughs> well, well, speaking of live shows, uh, Mass has a show scheduled for uh, this December up in Massachusetts. Can you tell us a little bit yes. about that? Yeah, um, we've got a show coming up on December 9th. I think we're gonna, it's gonna, we'll probably incorporate a couple of other Christmas tunes on there, you know, whether it's Jingle ah, Bell, nice. with the Wind the Land, or maybe Holding On. So we'll do maybe a couple. And um, and I mean, it's been a while since we've done a, a show in December. And uh, it sounds, it's just uh, something we look forward to. Um, we've been, during the pandemic, we've been, on and off rehearsing we wrote three or four songs and then we come back and and it's like you know we change it up a little bit and i was like what was wrong with it before you know <laughs> so it's just so hard sometimes when you have four you know heads and, and five actually now and that we have jeremy who's who's been working with us on the last three or four records the keyboard keyboards yeah yeah so um it just brings another whole different element that we love live and in the studio so um We'll see. We'll see what happens. Come on, comes along. We're getting together next Saturday for uh, one of our first rehearsals, and um, uh, in, in months, and um, we're gonna you know prepare for the show, but also working on some of the material, the new material that we've been working on. So where where are you guys with that right now? Um, before we started recording, we kind of touched upon it a little bit, but um, where where is there uh, as far as uh, what kind of stage are you at with maybe doing another album or something like that? Is it just the early stages at this point? It is. It really is. Like I said, we have three or four songs that we started putting together that I have on tape. Um, a little tape recorded that I bring down to the rehearsal. And now we got three or four that, you know, we have, you know, a verse, chorus, a bridge, you know, and, and uh, stuff like that. And so we'd have to write maybe, maybe another 10 songs. And, um, but um, everybody who, who's working individually, like Michael, he has his own little home studio and he's got about nine or 10 songs. I've got about three or three or four songs, you know, written and, and it's just get us getting together and 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 you know and planning it all out and getting it ready right so so we're we're we're, we're a band that works very very slow <laughs> <laughs> there you go nothing so, wrong with that not bad i mean oh i think boston has us has yeah. that beat you know <laughs> there you go <laughs> so that's right but, but uh well um lewis hey i tom and i really appreciate this talk tonight um taking the trip down the, the mass memory lane uh, you know, touching on each of the albums and, and a little bit more. And uh, it was really enjoyable. I uh, hope you had a, a good time tonight. I did. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lewis. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you guys for having me on. And yeah, and we'll uh, we'll look forward, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe a few years, but <laughs> we'll look forward to some new <laughs> mass music. <laughs> yeah, tell Khalil, tell your friend, get on those guys. Well, them, no, I will. Them. I Actually, I talk to him fairly regularly. And uh, Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I know him for over 30 years. I, I visited him in the 90s over in uh, the UK. But I, I will touch base with him that we had you on, and uh, I'll alert him to the fact that you, uh, you're you working on something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, uh, appreciate it. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully talk to you maybe when that, that new material comes out and the new album comes out. We'll, uh, we'll have you back on the, uh, the show. Sounds like a plan. Thank awesome. you, guys. Well, thank you very much. Take care, brother. You're welcome. Talk Take care, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.